Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So glad to have you all with us this morning, whether you're here in person or watching on the live stream. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Adam Brown. I'm one of the community group leaders here at Veritas. It's a joy and privilege to be up here this morning to open God's word with all of you on this Christmas, Lord's Day morning. Hope everyone had a great celebration yesterday as well for Christmas Day. This time of year can be one of real joy and excitement for many as they anticipate to celebrate the usual family traditions of Christmas time. But it can also be one that magnifies feelings of pain and loneliness that many feel throughout the year. And the typical messages that we hear from the world around Christmas time don't usually help as they are usually demanding that we feel love and joy and peace on earth without ever really giving us a real reason why we should feel these things. However, those who are followers of Jesus know that being people of joy and peace does not depend on a season, but on a person and what he's done for us. And that's the beautiful truth that we're going to see in our passage this morning. And as we look at our passage, we don't look at this passage as one that simply tells us a Christmas story, but one that reveals the very nature of Jesus and what he came to do. So if you would, would you please turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. We're going to be spending time in verses 18 to 25 this morning. And when you get there, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word? Let's listen to these words from God with joy and reverence, knowing that he's speaking them directly to us. Matthew writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you for the amazing gift you've given us in Jesus. Pray that my words this morning will bring you honor and glory as I point to the truths in your word. Would you be here with us this morning, working in our hearts, and growing us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's in his glorious name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
Well, as we gather this morning on Christmas Sunday, it means that we've just concluded our season of Advent in which we spend the four Sundays leading up to Christmas identifying with God's people and they're waiting for the promised Messiah. In our Advent series, we saw God's promise of redemption after the fall, that the seed of the woman will come to crush the head of the serpent. Then we saw this promise renewed through the offspring of both Abraham and David, and finally through the prophecy of Isaiah and the coming child who's to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This morning we come to our passage in Matthew, which reveals the fulfillment of all of these promises. But it's important we're placed into the setting in which this story is taking place. After all the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament, there's an astounding 400-year period with no new revelation from God. Then the events of the New Testament take place, and after this long period of silence, the New Testament starts here with Jesus' genealogy in Matthew. And he uses this to tie his gospel account back to the promises of the Old Testament. The genealogy spans 42 generations, beginning with Abraham, continuing through King David, and places Jesus at the very end as the subject of the story. It's directly following this genealogy that we see this morning's passage, the origin story of Jesus. As we work through our text this morning, we'll see that Jesus, the promised one of God, has come to draw near and save his people. And we'll look at this significance of his coming in three ways, the miracle pregnancy, the manifest promise, and the marvelous presence. First, the way that Jesus comes is through the miracle pregnancy. Matthew writes in verses 18 and 19, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. One thing we'll notice about Matthew's account of Jesus' birth is that it's from the point of view of Joseph and his receiving the news of Mary's pregnancy. This is in contrast to Luke's account, which is from the perspective of Mary, the angel visiting her to tell her that she's pregnant, which is the, the story that we hear most often at Christmas time. Matthew makes sure to emphasize that Mary and Joseph are merely betrothed to one another when the pregnancy is discovered. This means that according to Jewish custom, the couple would not have been living together or have had marital relations yet. So knowing that he couldn't possibly be the father, Joseph assumes that Mary had been unfaithful during their engagement and starts to consider how he should respond. A first century betrothal was very different from our modern tradition of engagement that can be broken off at any time by either party, really without any sort of legal hurdles. Betrothal was a legally binding agreement, usually arranged by the parents of the two to be married. It was very close to actual marriage, which is why Matthew refers to Joseph as Mary's husband here. The only way to end a betrothal was through divorce, which is a very public event and was required by the law as a response to adultery. On top of that, though it wasn't carried out as often in New Testament times, the Old Testament law required the adulterer to be stoned to death as punishment. But even without the stoning, going through with this would bring great shame on both parties and their families. But Joseph was an honorable and just man, so he sought to honor both the law of God and Mary by pursuing a private divorce instead of exposing her to such public disgrace. Joseph had decided to divorce Mary, but God does again what he did in all our Old Testament examples throughout Advent. He intervenes to accomplish his perfect will. 
Matthew writes in verse 20, that as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God ensures that his sovereign plan is carried out by sending an angel to Joseph in a dream to redirect him and change his mind. The angel first urges Joseph not to be afraid of taking Mary as his wife and experiencing the shame that will result. But then the angel assures Joseph that this child was indeed conceived by the Holy Spirit and not by a human father. Matthew is emphasizing here the supernatural nature of this, pass- of this pregnancy. He mentions Mary's virginity three times in this passage and the conception by the Holy Spirit twice. He wants no mistake to be made that this baby's conception is like no other that has ever happened or ever will happen again. This topic of Jesus being born of a virgin has been a struggle for many people throughout centuries. Maybe some of you here this morning or someone that you know have struggled with this truth. Opponents of the virgin birth will always say, surely this is too supernatural and far-fetched to believe. People being healed mysteriously, we can find some sort of explanation for that. But a baby being born from a virgin, we know there's no possible way for that to ever happen. And I think a tendency of many Christians in the past has been to make concessions on this truth. But church, let me urge you to not compromise the divine nature and sinlessness of Christ by making concessions on this truth. This truth of the virgin birth is essential to Jesus' identity. Being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin makes him the God-man. Fully God, fully man. Without both natures, he could not have offered himself on the cross as an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. And I realize this mystery of the incarnation, which means that God has come into his creation to take on human form, is profound. It's perhaps the most profound mystery in the universe. One commentator describes it in this way. The eternal one entered time. The omnipotent became a tiny infant. The Lord of glory veiled that glory in a human body. Church, this is a truth that we should think about often in our faith and allow it to create wonder and amazement that our God has done this for us. However, there is a lot of mystery here, and it's very supernatural, and that's why so many have stumbled on this truth of the Christian faith. But we believe in a God who's created all things from nothing, simply by speaking. This is not too complex a task for him. He has sovereign control and reign over his entire creation. And if there's one thing we learn from our Advent series... It's that God has always worked in unusual ways and through unlikely means. In this case, he came himself as a baby, conceived by the Spirit and born of a virgin, to accomplish his will and fulfill his promises. And as we continue in these next few verses, we'll see Matthew's emphasis on God fulfilling his promises. Please look with me next at the manifest promise. Wrapped up in Matthew's telling of this story is his strong focus on the identity of Jesus and how he fulfills the Old Testament. He continues with Joseph's dream in verse 21 as the angel tells him, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel reveals the child's purpose to Joseph. He will save his people from their sins. This is the promised Messiah. The one promised right after the fall, the seed of the woman who is to crush the head of the serpent. He has finally come. And Jesus, God has faithfully fulfilled his promise 
to rescue his people from the sin that separated us from him for so long. He came to us as a man. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross to die on our behalf then was raised from the dead. His resurrection accomplished victory over sin, Satan, and death and will reverse the terrible effects from the curse after the fall. He came to do all this so that by faith in him, we can be reconciled to God and experience the joy of his presence for eternity. Church, this is the good news we celebrate every day as Christians. This angel is announcing the inauguration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're here with us today and you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to consider the God who came himself to rescue you from sin and bring you back to him. He's made this open offer to anyone who will turn from their sin and turn to Christ in faith. And he will welcome you when you come humbly in the name of Jesus. By doing so, Jesus' righteousness will cover your sin and you can experience the joy that comes with being one of his people. For all of us, the arrival of Jesus into the world also signifies the ultimate fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament that God's people have been waiting for so long to witness. This is what the Apostle Paul attests to when he writes in 2 Corinthians, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All that God has promised since the fall, all of what has been prophesied through the Old Testament are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. However, as Matthew's telling this story, he has one specific Old Testament fulfillment in mind. In verse 22 and 23, following Joseph's dream, Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Showing how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament is a major focus of Matthew. His fulfillment formula seen here in verse 22 of all this took place to fulfill is seen 10 times throughout his gospel account. And here in verse 23, he's quoting Isaiah 7:14 as his first specific example of Jesus fulfilling an Old Testament promise. There's a lot of controversy that surrounds this promise in Isaiah. Bible scholars have debated for years over this passage. But many believe that this promise was partially fulfilled in Isaiah's time while reaching its final fulfillment 700 years later in the birth of Jesus. And I'm not standing up here this morning to solve this debate between Bible scholars. But I think that no matter what one's stance is on that, it's clear that Matthew here, writing under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is connecting this promise to Jesus and his being born of the Virgin Mary. But what's more than that is Matthew isn't only claiming that Jesus has fulfilled this promise. He's also associating another name with Jesus, Emmanuel. Before we fully dive into the significance of the name Emmanuel, let's first look at Joseph's response to the dream in verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So Joseph obeys the angel by taking Mary as his wife, adopting the child as his own, and gives his son the name Jesus. But notice, this is the third time 
that Matthew has mentioned the naming of Jesus in this passage. This is another method that he uses to reveal Jesus as the Messiah who has come to fulfill all the Old Testament promises. In the genealogy right before this passage, Matthew assigns the names son of Abraham and son of David to Jesus to demonstrate that he is the promised seed of Abraham and offspring of David, the rightful king on David's throne. Then he assigns the title Christ in verse 18 and presents Jesus as the anointed one, the promised Messiah who has been anticipated by God's people for thousands of years. Then in receiving the names Jesus, which means God saves, he is as the angel says to Joseph, the one who has come at long last to save his people from their sins. By referencing Isaiah 7.14 here, Matthew is associating another name with Jesus that makes a spectacular claim about his identity. It may seem like he's kind of just sliding this name, Emmanuel, into this passage just because the two stories line up. But Matthew is announcing that this birth has changed the way that God interacts with his people forever. God doesn't simply save his people from afar. He draws near. Look with me lastly at the marvelous presence. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed the perfect presence of God as he walked in the garden among them in Genesis 3.8. But as a result of their sin, man could no longer be in the presence of a holy God. And the relationship was severed. No longer could God's presence be directly with his people but instead, it was in a pillar of fire and cloud in the Exodus or hovering above the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place throughout the rest of the Old Testament. That is, until the events of our passage this morning. The coming of Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation of Christ, displays a God who desires to be near to his people. You see, while the name Jesus reveals what he does, namely save his people from their sins, the name Emmanuel reveals who Jesus is. God with us. God has come down from heaven to draw near to his people in the person of Jesus to restore the relationship broken by sin. Church, this is the amazing truth that we celebrate at Christmas. We don't celebrate a God that creates everything and stands far off to just let everything run its course. While every other religion of the world was founded by a person trying to tell people how to find God and get to him, Christianity is the only religion where God comes down to us define and save us. The coming of Jesus into the world shows us a God who will go to great lengths to rescue and be with his people. A God who loves his people so much that he would leave his glory in heaven to come in humility as a suffering servant. And not only did God draw near to his people in the birth of Jesus, we also have hope for the day when he comes again to raise all of his people to new life, to be with them for eternity. This is the beautiful truth we see in the book of Revelation when John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Just as we celebrate at Christmas, that Christ has come to save his people from their sins, we will celebrate again at his second advent. He came the first time in humility, but he will come again in glory to call his people home. This is the future promise that we long for with certainty and joyful expectation. But the promise of God's presence 
presence is not only a past and future reality. We have his presence with us now. This is so important that Matthew bookends his gospel with it. First here in this morning's passage, then again when Jesus himself promises it to us at the end of the book. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What an incredible promise for us, church. That God is with us always to the end of the age. Notice that this is attached to the Great Commission that Jesus gives us. So while we're living as Christians in a world full of hostility to the gospel, this promise from Jesus gives us both comfort and courage as we go out to make disciples of all nations in his name. His presence is what empowers us to love our neighbors so much that we share this good news of the gospel with them. But since Jesus has ascended to the Father in heaven, how is God's presence with us now? Before he went to the cross, Jesus told his disciples, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. By the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, God is with us here and now, helping us as we live out our often tiresome daily lives. Jesus himself even said that it was better for him to go so that he could send the Spirit, the Helper, to us. The Spirit unites us to Christ and gives us understanding of the thoughts of God and Scripture. He also seals us as God's people until the day of redemption. The Apostle Paul says this about the Spirit's presence in 2 Corinthians. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The presence of God with us now through his Spirit gives us assurance that God will keep us and his presence will not leave us. In a world full of trouble and fear, God's constant presence with us is a helper and comforter for us, producing joy and peace that comes with being a redeemed child of God. Just listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about God's constant presence in the Christian life. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. Satan trembles when he hears that name, God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor own his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us. Does the sufferer's comfort, does the balm of his woe, does the alleviation of his misery, does the sleep which God gives to his beloved, does their rest after exertion and toil, God with us. Church, what would it look like if we lived our daily lives in light of this truth? If we believed every day that God's presence was with us, 
in the dark, lonely, and restless times of our lives. He is with us, and he will never leave or forsake us. In times of weakness and hardship, he is with us as a helper, reminding us of his care. In times of fear and despair, he is with us as a comforter, reminding us of his love and that we are secure in Christ. The promise of God's presence is one that we can receive and trust in because God has been faithful to fulfill every promise that he's ever made. This is the promise that gives us the endurance we need to live as Christians. Let's be the people who exude true joy and peace because we know that Jesus is with us in every moment of our lives as he promised. One of the most joyful and peace-filled people that I've ever known was my grandmother. She went to be with the Lord just before the start of the COVID pandemic. She's one of the most important people in my life. And anyone who knew her would attest that she was the personification of joy and peace. One day, just under a year before she passed, I was sitting with her in the living room of her house. And at this point in her life, my grandfather had been gone for over 15 years. She had lost most of her hearing and eyesight, and she was in pain most of the time. However, as I sat there with her, talking to her about the devotional that she was reading, she leaned back in her chair with her great smile and said about Jesus, he's my constant companion. For some reason, it wasn't until that moment that I made the connection. She was someone of so much joy and peace because of the deep-rooted trust she always had in Jesus and his presence with her at all times. You see, church, the world wants us, wants this season to be one filled with joy and peace on earth. But these are not feelings that we conjure out of thin air or bring from our own power. These are feelings that must come from a source. And that source is a person. His name is Jesus Christ, son of Abraham and David, son of God and Emmanuel, God with us. He is God, come to us as a man to save us from our sins. And his presence will be with us in this life and in the life to come. He's what we celebrate at Christmas. And whether this season is one of happiness, sadness, or loneliness for you, the promise of his presence is what gives us our true joy and peace as lasting and faithful because it's rooted in an eternally faithful God. Let's pray. Father, only a God of great mercy and grace would descend to his creation to save his people from their sins against him. That's what you've done for us in Jesus Thank you for sending our Emmanuel, God with us, to restore our relationship with you. Would you help us to trust your presence and your promises in our daily lives, that we don't have to give in to fear and despair because our sovereign God who loves us has promised to always be with us and never abandon us. Cause us to experience the joy and peace every day that comes from your nearness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.